0: or anything like that, I love you, but I wish you were here. There's something good for us here. And so that's what we've been kind of navigating throughout this series. Now, here's my really fancy, high-tech visual aid for the day. And don't worry, we didn't spend too much money on this. We do have a budget. But this is cardstock, so it's not bottom of the line either. All right. So God has been saying in different ways, hey, I wish you were here, I wish you were here. And in week one, we said, well, if God says, I wish you were here, and by the way, here can be a d- bunch of different things, we acknowledge that if he wants us here, there has to be a there. And how do we get from there to here? And in week one, it was really simple. God says, look, I wish you were in the light. Light is where we're honest, we're open, we acknowledge our sinfulness to him and how much we need him. And in week two, we really doubled down on that because Ben got into this whole thing, what God had to do to bring us here with him. From the, um, the, the Old Testament tabernacle to the temple, there were all these visual things where God was saying, there's a separation between us. But in Christ, God brought us from there to here to bring us together with him. And then last week, what Ben did was he talked about people who are here forgiven by God. They will we'll show that by the way that they love. Um, when Jesus told his disciples, hey, if you want people to know that you follow me, uh, Jesus didn't say, give this much money, or he didn't say, go to church three times a month. You know, Jesus said, if you want people to know you're here, that you're my disciple, all you need to do is love one another. And so the defining characteristic of people who are here, where God wants them to be, is this idea of love. So, wish you were here. Be honest about there. God has brought you here. People who are here are free to love. And now here's part four. Here's how we're going to end the series. People who are here are free from fear. It has a nice ring to it. People who are here are free from fear. And this is going to be what we build on for the rest of today. God says, I wish you were here. And here is free from fear. Now, I need to stop right there because... If I were you, I'd be thinking that the preacher up here is totally naive, (laughs) and the preacher can just say, don't be afraid. And the people will say, oh good, I won't be afraid. Because here's what I know, just from the regular attenders of Bethlehem, we have such a wide variety of people who have different reasons to be afraid. Just the people who are regular attenders, we have people who are in the thick of law enforcement. Not only when they go to to work every day, not only do they put their life on the line every day, but they get to deal with the mess of humanity, and they usually have to clean it up. So you tell that person, don't be afraid. What does that mean? Uh, You look at some other people, just regular attenders. Some people have post-traumatic stress syndrome. Stress, stress disorder, you can never get it right, PTSD. Um, other people have backgrounds and histories where they have faced abuse from people who were supposed to love them, and so there's these fear issues they're working through. So if I tell them, okay, go home today, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't fear, what good does that do? We have some people who are regular attenders <clears throat> who don't know if they will have a job in a year. They don't know where they're going to live in a year. And if I tell them, don't be afraid, what good does that do? We have other people who are regular attenders who they don't know if they're going to be alive in a year. And if I tell them, well, don't be afraid, well, what does that do? So just as we begin this, and I hope I repeat this at the end, but I don't always follow my script, so if I forget at the end, I need to say it here. Just because you have things in your life that cause you to fear doesn't mean you can't be here. It doesn't disqualify you. All it means is we need to be able to sit down and say, well, what does fear do? And rather than letting fear control you, we need to turn things around so that fear is your cue to do something different. And that's what I want to be able to send home with you today. We're not going to take fear out of your life. We're not going to be able to take the sources of fear out of your life, but we can change the power and the control that fear has over you. Now I, I I listed a bunch of different backgrounds just from regular attenders here, and honestly I share none of that. I don't have those experiences. I can't stand up in here and say, "Oh my goodness, there's this big thing from my past that it just haunts me." I can't stand up here and do that. So what I what I did was I thought, well, what's what's something that would make me afraid? Like if it was going to happen this week, what would make me afraid? And the thing that would make me afraid is if I would go to the Middle East. I would be afraid there, okay? I would be afraid in the Middle East. And then I thought, well, this is kind of funny, because actually last week, Ben talked about how he went to Israel a few years ago, three or four years ago. In fact, he gave us a picture of when he was in Israel. And if you were here last week, I mean, the second this thing came up, I was like, Ben's going to regret this. (laughs) This is wide open. But I was thinking, well, how can Ben be so confident in Israel in the Middle East with so much unrest, you know, all these things going on? You know what? I think, I think this was Photoshopped. <laughs> I think he has a big smile on his face. And if you remember last week, he said he did this because he wanted proof that he wished his wife was there with him, aww. I'm like, no way that's true. The reason he has a smile on his face and he's so confident and bold is because somebody was there with him and he photoshopped it out. And I believe this was who was there with him. (laughs) Got Chuck Norris, you ain't got no fear. That's all I'm saying. Okay, that can work for Pastor Ben, but what about the rest of us, right? Right? Um, what about the rest of us? What about us who have these fears and we don't have Chuck Norris there to help us? Now, that's kind of this, this um, introduction because finally, when it comes to fear, one thing we do have going for us is who is with us. Who is with us? And, and this is going to be like the, oh yeah, this is where the message is going moment because all of you who are Christians, you're like, yeah, God is with us, so we shouldn't be afraid. And that's kind of a big, a big part of this message. But... As we look at John, elderly John, writing to a group of churches, he gives them this comfort that God is with you, therefore you don't have to be afraid, but he's going to throw a twist in here. And when he does, he's going to unveil the common thread that goes through each and every fear that you could have. Every fear has one thing in common, and as John brings that out, He's going to help us find release and freedom from it. Um, So what we're doing today, fear has the power to control you, but John's going to show us that it doesn't have to control you. This is how John starts out. Again, we're really focusing on just who this person is with you through every trouble, through every fear. It is the God who loves you. And so we're going to go through this part a little quickly. John is repeating himself. He's kind of covering material. He's already covered before because, as we said last week, John is... Old, and old people do that. They repeat themselves. But it's good, because God is using this to drive home a point. This is love, and he said this before. Love is not that we love God. In other words, love didn't start with us saying, okay, God, we're going to start a relationship here. But rather, love is that God loved us, and he acted on that love. He sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is what we talk about in weeks one and two. All of us were so separated from God, but God said, I wish you were here with me. And so Jesus was that atoning sacrifice that brought us from there to here. Okay, he goes on. We're going to skip the verse 16 here. So John is, again, summarizing. He does this a lot. And so we know how that happened, and more than that, we rely on the love that God has for us. And he's repeating this because it's so important. This Love is not we said, okay, God, let's, let's, let's make things right. But God said, I'm going to bring you from there to here. In fact, he says more than just God is governed by love or God acts on his love, he says God is love. He is love. So God is here, and here is love—the very essence of it. And a quick way to understand that is: if you're locked by yourself in a room for your entire life and you have no contact with other people, are you able to love, to show love, to be loved? Um, But rather, when you look at God's essence, He describes Himself as as Triune—Father, Son, and Spirit. You see, from eternity, God has been living in community because God has been reflecting love to himself. And that should confuse you, but that's the essence of God, three in one, because God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. Translation, whoever lives in love is here, with God and God in him. And John could have said whoever believes in love Or he could have said, whoever acknowledges their need for love, but John says, no, 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 whoever lives in love. Whoever remains in love. Because God is love. And and so, okay, who is it with you? When When it comes to your fears and the things that you face, who is it that's with you? It's the God who's actually defined by love. And when we consider that, we can't help but live here by sharing that love with one another. Now he's going to switch gears a little bit because he's going to test this. Okay, if God is really love, well, what would be the ultimate test of whether or not he really loves us and sent his son for us? Would not the test be to face God face-to-face in judgment? So you're on the stand and he's the judge and he's judging you. What will he say? Wouldn't that be the ultimate test? So that's what John does. He says, okay, when you think about this love, the love is made complete. I'll come back to that word in a second. It's complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. This is a love you can bank on. The love that God has for you. Because, look, in this world, even here in this world, we're in his love. Okay, so I'm going to stop there because I'm confused at this point. John, in the way he writes, um, it's, it's, he's kind of chasing something down, and it's kind of hard to see. But here's the essence of what he's saying. God loved you. His love makes you want to love one another. And you loving one another is evidence that God is loving you. So it's kind of this, this, um, this circuit, this completion, which brings me to this word complete. It's interesting because John uses that same Greek word when Jesus is on the cross. This is really, really important. When Jesus was facing his final moments, it says that knowing that all things were now finished and to make everything, here's the word comes in, complete. Jesus asked for something to drink. To make everything complete. Um, Jesus also uses, or John also used this word when Jesus was speaking one of his final things on the cross. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. Same Greek word that John uses here as he describes God's love for us. It is complete. It is finished. It is, in another word that's going to come up, it is perfect. Another way to uh, describe it is, I want you to picture the perfect day. Like Father's Day is next week. So, okay, if you're a father, just picture the perfect day. The perfect day. Uh, maybe it's on the beach. Maybe you're sipping a drink. Maybe it's just a nice, gentle breeze outside, or maybe it's watching you know, the game, whatever it is. Um, the perfect day is not missing anything. The perfect day is not missing anything. So when, when John says, love is made complete, and when Jesus said, it is finished, the, the same word, he's basically saying, there was nothing missing. Everything that we needed is there. God says, to make love complete, It doesn't just go from God to me, but it goes from me then on to others. That's what makes it complete. That's where nothing is missing. Um, So now John takes this a level. So, okay, that's the love that God has for us. This is the ultimate test for it. Um, But then maybe he, he starts to think about something very specific. He's like, well, maybe not everyone is ready for that day of judgment. Or maybe there's some fear in us when it comes to what will happen on that day. So here's how John continues here. He's going to talk about what happens, and he he makes some pretty bold statements that might make you a little bit shocked. He said, first of all, there is no fear here. God is love. God is here. There is no fear when you are here. Well, wait a minute. Can Can you just kick fear out of your life and be done with it? What's John trying to say here? He says perfect love drives out fear because, and he explains himself, because fear has to do with punishment. I know you're all going to find this hard to believe, but when I was in seventh grade, I got in trouble once. Thank you for not laughing louder. That could have been really bad. I got in trouble once, and it happened at school, and I had to go home, and my parents were out at work, but I knew they knew, and they knew I knew, and I knew they were coming home eventually, and in that moment of waiting, I was a wreck. I mean, it was like one of the low points of my life, waiting for my parents to come home, because I knew that there was something incomplete, there was something unfinished, and it had to do with my rear end. (laughs) There was this punishment waiting for me and I did not want it to happen. And and maybe some of you have been not good at one time in your life too and you know that feeling of when there's punishment coming but it hasn't been dealt yet and there's this fear because something hasn't happened yet. But at the flip side, you know the feeling afterwards when it's done and everything's good again and you're just like, oh, there's that feeling of relief and that feeling of peace. John says, as long as you fear, you see, fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with this idea that something still needs to be paid. So one way that applies to us is we look at Judgment Day and we say, well, I'm afraid that God still might punish me. I'm not sure that Jesus took all my sins away. And and that might be a fear for some people, but I would think that for most of you, your fear looks a little different. It's not necessarily a judgment day thing, but it's actually a today thing. Like you might look at some bad things that are happening to you or some very negative things that are coming down the pike and and you're looking at them and and you're, oh boy. And your conclusion might be, well, God must be punishing me for something I did. I wonder what I did to deserve this. And as you go back in your mind, you're like, well, maybe it was this thing, or maybe it was that thing I did in high school, or this thing in college, or, you know, maybe God is just punishing me for something I thought. And this is a real thing that can plague a person, because when we believe that God is punishing us, it completely makes us doubt His love for us. And guess what happens? If you believe that here is a place where God punishes you, then the thing that you pass on to one another is punishment. punishment. You hold other people accountable. You say, Well, I can't forgive you. I have the right to punish you because God punishes me. And I want to set the record straight here right away. When you believe that God punishes you, you are believing a lie. It's a lie. God does not punish you because he's already punished somebody else for you. Don't beat yourself up for what Jesus was already beat up for. God does not punish you. Um, This this idea that God is holding something back from us and that God is is incomplete (laughs) is a lie that goes back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, The devil said to Adam and Eve, look, you're right here, but God has something that he's put away from you. There's something better for you there. And so Adam and Eve went from here to there, and from that point on, everyone who followed has been doing the same. Uh, When we believe God is punishing us, that God's holding something back, it completely undermines what He really is. Love. So to put that into a fill in number two here, if you're taking notes, fear challenges the idea that God is perfect when your life isn't. And this is something that can really plague us. So what we need to do is completely address this. When fear challenges the idea that God is perfect when our life isn't, we need to be able to, to turn that into a moment where instead of doubting His goodness, We affirm it. And here's the wrong way to do it. The wrong way is to say, well, I better just love harder. Or I better make a better effort at this. Um, When you find yourself in in a season of life where you're doubting God's goodness because there's no goodness in your life, it doesn't start with you trying to produce goodness. It comes with us falling to our knees because we continually doubt God's goodness no matter what. And so to wrap this up, John goes on with one more phrase. Again, it's, it's nothing new. It's more of a summary, but it draws us back to the main truth that we need to hear. He says this, we love, in other words, we're here because he first loved us maybe you could keep track of all the times God loved you and you let it stop right there. You did not want to forward that love to anyone else. We could come up with so many times, but God brings us back to this. We're still here because God loved us first. And when you, when you, when you transform the way you think according to that, instead of trying to, to uh, provide the things that, that you need, um, instead, if you could just be here, Where God loves you, there's so much that we can find there. Uh, Let me me kind of wrap it up this way. When you look at the fears you have, and, and by the way, before I acknowledge all the different ways or things that just people in this church can fear, whatever your fear is, here's what John is saying about it. Something's missing. Most of the time, the fear is that you're missing certainty. That's why when we have medical problems and they can't figure it out, can't figure it out, can't figure it out, and there's just this fear, this, this anxiety, and finally there comes the day where that test comes back and they're like, here it is, and you take a deep breath and you're like, oh, at least I know. So for, for many of us, fear is simply uncertainty. We're missing, we're missing that certainty. We're missing information. Sometimes fear is we're missing Um, materials. We're missing money. We're missing a relationship. And we're, we're fearful that things will just continue down this bad, bad path. But God says, I wish you were here. I wish you were here because here is where you'll find everything that you'll need. Um, That's our last fill-in, and then I'm going to kind of apply that. Whatever you're missing, God promises, God says, is right here. Whatever you're missing is right here. And what God means by that, he doesn't say, if only you would trust in me, I would take away all the sources of your problems. No. Here is not necessarily, in this life, here is not a place where there's just no problems, where it's just this magical place where they all vanish. Um, God is not saying that here is free from those, but what he is saying, whoa, here is where the things you're missing can be found. Here is where you can find a different way to view the fear that has been uh, controlling you. Um, and, And here's a final thought here. Rather than letting fear be the thing that controls you, what if fear could simply be a cue? What if fear could simply be a cue? And what I mean by that is this. When when you feel hungry, that's your cue to eat. When you're thirsty, that's your cue to drink. When you're uncomfortable, that's your cue to change, right? You have different cues on a daily basis. What if fear, instead of being this thing that controls you, what if fear was simply a cue to make you run to the place where nothing is missing. And in just a second, we're going to uh, wrap this up with, uh, with a song that's the perfect capstone for this series. But before we do that, I need to tell you a quick story. It's, it's one of the lines in this song, and it has to do with this nation of people who were enslaved. And there's horrible conditions in Egypt. These people were delivered from slavery. They were on the run trying to find their way to a new home. And the Egyptians, as they, as they saw the Israelites leave, they said, well, wait a minute. We can't let this happen. So the, so the Egyptians, they gathered their fastest, best chariots and their armies, and they marched. They chased after these Israelites. And no matter how fast the Israelites could go, the Egyptians would inevitably chase them down and either kill them or take them back to slavery. And just when things couldn't get worse, the Israelites came face-to-face with this giant sea that stood in their path. So the sea trapping them this side and the Egyptian armies uh, trapping them from the others. In that moment, you can imagine what those million people must have felt. Well, where is God's goodness now? God, we needed you, and now we're at a dead end. But you know what God did? He split the sea right before them. And the sea that was once this object of fear now became the means of their deliverance. And the waters crushed over their enemies. See, what I know is that some of you are in front of a sea right now. And some of you will be in front of a sea pretty soon because some enemies might be chasing you down. But what I believe is that when God places a sea before you, he will also open up a way right through it. He will do that because God is faithful. And in your life, he will not necessarily take away the things that have the power to make you fear. But in your life, you will have no reason to give that power to them because here, there's nothing missing. Everything that you need. Let's pray. Dear Father in Heaven, in, in the, the people that are listening or watching this, this message, I know that there's two different extremes. Uh, the one that I might fall on is this self-confidence, where I think everything is good, and I don't have any reason to be afraid because, because of me. And at the other end, there are people who just are controlled by fear and anxiety, and, and there's just a wide variety of people in between, two. So as, as we consider this final message that we looked at from John, Help us to simply be in a place where we know nothing's missing because it's the place where you are. Even when we travel through the valley of the shadow of death, what brings us joy and peace is that you are right there with us. We are where we need to be. And so as we close out this series, I pray that all of us would be able to see the wisdom and the love when you you reach out to us and you say, I love you where you are, but I wish you were here. And I ask you to give us the wisdom, the faith, and and the the encouragement to be able to take a step of faith through the waters, wherever they might be, as we live our lives out of honor for you. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.